0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Write It Out Show. Let's roll that intro. Today we're talking to Steve Bate, a gold medal-winning Paralympian who got into professional cycling following the diagnosis of an incurable eye disease. But before we do so, I just wanted to use this opportunity to thank one of Ride Resilient sponsors and this particular episode has been made possible with the support of Ortlieb. Now, if you've ever come across a fully-laden round-the-world cyclist, chances are they would have probably been using Ortlieb luggage. Often touted on the forums as one of the most durable pannier bags on the market, Ortlieb luggage is fully waterproof, thanks to its welded construction still all made in Germany 30 years after the company was started, and backed by a five-year warranty with spare parts available for up to 10 years after a product becomes discontinued. It's therefore no surprise that the only grumble bike shops had when I was a sales rep about the brand was that the things would never wear out. So once it sold a pair of panniers to a, uh, a customer, they'd never see them again to buy a replacement pair because the things just didn't wear out at all. So while cycling luggage is the brand's bread and butter, they are also well known for products from for the outdoor and commuter markets. Um, so even if you're familiar with the brand, um, make sure to go and check out their latest range over on Autley.com and I will put a link to their website in the uh, podcast description as well. So thanks to Ortlieb for helping us gain additional exposure, helping us financially, and just with general resource across a number of really, really important areas as well. Okay, back to Steve. Now, the thing that really stood out to me after having had my conversation with Steve is how much we can all achieve if we believe in ourselves and are happy to just grit our teeth a little bit um, in the face of hardship. So without further ado, here is Steve Bate. Steve Bate, thanks for your time. No worries. We've man. come to basically a second home here, haven't we? Um, <laughs> you spend a lot of time over here. It's the first time <laughs> I've come here, which is a, a huge shame on me as an avid cyclist. But we're at the, uh, the Velo Park in Manchester. Mm. Um, Steve is a pretty... A, a, pretty established athlete in the world of kind of like para sports if you like. But I'll let you introduce yourself in terms of, you know, your cycling background. And then I'll be keen to dive in in a little bit. At this stage, we were politely interrupted by a lady desperate for a cigarette. Absolutely not bothered about the fact that we might be recording a podcast. That was, that was random. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Just to what mm. happens when you sat outside. Mm. Uh, yeah, so going back to where we were, so yeah, I'll let Steve, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, um, how you've come into the world of cycling, um, and then i will be keen to dive a little bit deeper into your, sort of like your past as well, because actually cycling kind of came off the back of a different walk of life to an extent, didn't it? So, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess uh, I'm
1: probably, I'm not known at all, but I'm probably best known for cycling on the back of a tandem. Um so I race for the Great British Cycling Team and Paralympics G B. Uh, I've been very fortunate enough to go to two uh, Paralympic Games nice. in Rio in twenty sixteen and Tokyo in twenty twenty one. And uh yeah, I've kinda I've done alright I suppose if I look back at my career. I've been been pretty lucky to ride with someone who's been really good on the front and uh dragged me around. You're being very humble matches. here, aren't you, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want people to go. Oh God, I was all. You know, like. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, I guess I got. I've got four Paralympic medals. Two of them are gold. Um, of of won uh, four world titles yeah. across the track and the road. Um, once held a world record, which was pretty special. Amazing. And uh, yeah, a Commonwealth bronze earlier this year. Um, and probably a handful of national titles brilliant so uh yeah i've uh, it's been an illustrious career
0: i've got to i've got to hold my hand up here and, and and admit to you that actually you know the paralympics and just parasport in general just doesn't get the visibility that it deserves because what you're doing the amount of training you're putting in you know you're effectively you're on par with the guys uh what they call able-bodied you know we were sort of talking about that earlier um And as a result, you know, before, like, we started working together through my day job effectively and sort of met you through there. But before that, I I wouldn't have had a clue if somebody said, like, Steve Bate, MBA, what's he done? I would have been like, not a clue. And that's awful. That's absolutely awful. Um, so just for, for our listeners, your disability, what's, what's made you go into or forced you to go into the sort of like the, the parasite of things? Yeah,
1: so I uh, I got diagnosed back in twenty eleven with a visual impairment, uh, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa, so it's RP for short, which is much easier, and that's basically tunnel vision. So um, I don't have any peripheral vision, and it's degenerative. So basically, my eyesight is closing in from the outside, like my peripheral field, uh, into my macular vision. So uh, it's getting my visual field is getting less and less each day so there's no cure for this they're still working on that so at some point uh i guess i'll uh, i guess i'll go blind um and that is really what uh what forced me out of my dream of becoming an alpine guide and to look at other things that i could i could do and and a a friend of mine mentioned
0: racing on the back of a tandem could be one of those things so i want to dig into this a little bit more because i find that 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 story really interesting it's actually an extent, a similar journey to me. I've come from that sort of like the mountaineering background and kind of fall into into cycling. But like, were you cyclists before that at all? Was it just something that you sort of occasionally did, or was it very much like, no, no, you were you were purely focused on sort of like the mountaineering side of things and climbing, and just naturally quite 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 fit uh, and able-bodied? Or how how did that sort of work for you? I mean, that transition from from mountaineering to cycling. Yeah, it was a
1: uh, it was a pretty fast and abrupt. But I, you know, I've got to say, I've 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 ridden a bike most of my life um, for fun. Um, and I guess when I started working in the outdoors, which is what I did before I became a cyclist, professional cyclist at least. Um, you know, I was a mountain bike kind of guide and coach and things like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was just always about racing around trails, having a laugh, chasing your mates down single track. You know, yeah. that was the best thing in the world about mountain biking, you know, like chasing your friends through the woods. And, and I guess, uh, with, as I started to, as my eyesight started to decline, that was something that was, um, less and less kind of, um, you know, realistic for me, for me to do. And, you know, I thought that for as long as I could, but, you know, chasing wheels and riding off and hitting trees and woods kind of started, started <laughs> to pay a pretty heavy price. So, uh, yeah, it was probably one of the hardest things that, um, along with my driver's license that I had to, had to kind of give up. And I actually stopped riding a bike for, for quite a while, just because I was, I was really bitter at the fact that I couldn't do the thing that I love the most, you know, and, and riding a mountain bike and hucking myself off things and being stupid, um, and being out with my mates. Um, so I probably stopped riding a bike for about two, two, maybe three years and just, you know, I I was climbing. So, you know, I've always been very much outdoor focused with, uh, you know, with climbing and being in the mountains and surfing and, and, and stuff. And, and I think, um, yeah, I I think when I stopped riding, I just drew a line and thought, well, I can't do what I want to do. Um, and going on long mountain bike rides wasn't really that appealing at that time. You know, it was all about the fast and furious adrenaline, you know, kind of chasing people down trails or being chased. Um, so I just thought, well, that's fine. I can't do that. So I just draw a line under it and, and, and move on and kept climbing and, 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 you know, probably more went down more kind of bouldering than, than lead climbing. Um, but yeah, and then a, and then a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, Debraeem Park, kind of was, um, kind of got me back, up, got me back out on a mountain bike, and just sort of saying, you know, just like, hey, let's just go riding, man. You know, you don't have to do all this super gnarly stuff anymore. Because I guess I guess we're getting to the age where he was getting a bit older and had children, and that that kind of. Uh, uh adventure to misadventure you know running running that fine line of you know having this kind of crazy time of uh you know being lunatics building jumps and all that sort of stuff you know i guess he was moving on beyond that with the responsibility of being a father and a family so yeah we i guess he got me back into it and we just started looking at at, at other ways we could use the bike to still
0: get that buzz and have that feeling and just looping back a little bit to, to your diagnosis, like how how did it come about? Like did you find like your vision was just getting worse and you kinda of went for an eye test or something and they were like, Hey, you've got a bigger problem to worry about, or what what kinda of happened there then? Yeah, so when I first moved to the UK, I was I, was, I lived in London
1: for my for my sense. <laughs> and 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 I moved I, I lived in London for four. I was based in London for four years, I didn't really live there for four years, I did a lot of travelling, but and then I moved to Scotland, to the north of Scotland, up to the Murray Coast and i assumed when i moved up there and i must have been probably about 26 27 that i'd just been in london where everything's lit up isn't it like street lights everything and and i i i just in my head it was just i started to struggle in the dark but i just figured that because you know i was out in the dark a lot more there were no street lights that it was just a natural thing but i went for a, a routine eye check uh for my job actually and um yeah, kind of walked into that, you know, with what I thought I knew my vision wasn't great. Cause I did, I did struggle in the dark and if I dropped car keys on the floor, you know, I wouldn't instantly see them. I'd have to scan around a bit. And, but you know, I was still driving and, and, and I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. Yeah, And it was, uh, it was in that eye check where I went in and, you know, at the time I could still read the bottom, the very smallest line, uh, in both eyes and it wasn't until I I made this comment about not really being able to see much in the dark and struggled to find my keys or see things and I was put on a visual field test and then all of a sudden that changed everything and you know it went from being yep you got 20-20 vision, perfect vision to I don't think you should drive home in fact I don't think you should drive ever again. Um, So so was that
0: that the point where you basically stopped being able to drive just right there and then or? Yeah, well, it should have been. I kind of... Drove home anyway. Yeah, yeah, being, sort of, being, a, being a stubborn
1: male. Uh, and someone who, I guess, who back, at, back in those days was fiercely independent, um, I thought, no, nah, you know, rubbish, this can't be happening to me. Yeah. So I, I, I can still drive. I drove here, for Christ's sake. And yeah. so I did drive home. But um, I guess as the as the test started rolling and after that, and it was pretty clear though, I had something drastically wrong, that... Um, yeah, driving wasn't, wasn't going to be a good thing to do.
0: That I'm going to call a head in the sand mentality where you're sort of just in denial, you know, was that a big part of your coping strategy, the diagnosis, would you say, or did you, were you able to accept it fairly quickly? How did no, happen, you know? no, definitely at the
1: start was just kind of like, you know, this, this, can't, happening be happening. To me. this can't be happening. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in, I was, I was 34 or 35 at the time and you know, on this big drive to be this kind of alpine guide, and and I knew straight away that if I a if I couldn't drive, and b I couldn't see that, you know, I mean, who's who's going to go into the mountains with a guide who's got a white cane? <laughs> follow, follow me, guys, through a glacier field. Like, I'm the rope here, but <laughs> you it. I'll Follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I've got you on a rope. You'll be fine. <laughs> um Yeah. So I think I think denial absolutely was the the first thing, and then and then kind of like I guess like this mental depressive state of like oh god like this can't be happening and how how am I going to cope what sort of burden am I going to be like I just proposed to my now wife so I had a fiance and I I went through this crazy head spin of like a how am I going to do my job be is my wife still going to love me? How much of a burden I gonna you know gonna become? You know I, I can't climb and I, and I just got into this really downward spiral of I can't you know and everything I looked at doing you know and I had incredible support around me at the time um, and particularly from my wife but I just I couldn't see any way out of being this blind person stuck in a house doing nothing just being a big burden on everyone and um that probably lasted about six months Did it? I think it was pretty um you know like I'd stop climbing I basically stop seeing friends stop doing everything you know just because I you know I was still going into work and and probably masking the fact that everything was going to be all right but you know I was it was a hell of a time mm-hmm. to go through and you know I always um you know, when depression gets brought up and people are like, oh, you, you know, you'll be fine, just work through it and stuff. And, you know, and and I guess, like, I, I don't know whether I would have been clinically depressed diagnosed at that, but I, I certainly gave me a really good insight into, you know, when people say, oh, I'm really not well, I can kind of understand that yeah. now, you know, yeah. of just like, because I was literally fixed in this mentality of like everything that people saying, you can do this. I was just like, no, I can't. Yeah. No, I can't I can't do that. I can't and it was very negative.
0: And how did you get yourself out of that mindset then in the end, would you say? Like a pivotal turning point that you remember like I did this or I did that, and actually suddenly I was like, Actually I can I can still do a lot. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think um so I went to meet
1: a good friend of mine, Karen Dark. Oh yeah. And uh, and her boyfriend at the time was Anna Kirkpatrick, the uh alpinist, British alpinist and and I went to Karen because I thought I didn't feel like anyone understood what I was going through. You know, all my peer groups had never kind of had this anything like this happen to them. So everyone's saying, "Don't worry, it'll be fine." And it's like, "Well, where's your evidence of that?" <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Karen it was in a wheel you know in a wheelchair, and she had had her climbing ups in her early twenties and been paralysed from the chest down. And and so I felt like speaking to Karen she got it yeah you know she understood exactly you know what she's gone through is far worse than what i was but it was just that she'll understand and it was it was yeah it was karen who just said um you know hey you can when i said oh, i'm gonna go blind she's oh great you can race on the back of a tan and for gb and come and train with me in mallorca and even at that point i was like no karen i can't do that you know it's like i was still in that mindset and and andy actually said to me oh, mate, you should go, you should go climb Al Cap um, before, you, before you can't see it all. Um, you know, he said, in fact, I think you should probably solo it. And and, and it, it was funny because at the time, I just thought, oh, no, that's stupid. But leaving that cafe and being driven home by Carol and my wife, and there, there was just this tiny little seed that was planted. And, and I think, um, you know, it was uh, probably a bit of hope and Andy wrote a really lovely blog about, about, um, we did go to El Cap together and, and I did climb El Cap and, and he wrote this blog afterwards and he said at that, and he's, he, he, he wrote it really beautifully where he said something like, at that point in my life, you know, everyone's got the storyboard, the pin board and they have got all these post-its and pictures and dreams and hopes and pinned on this board. And at that point in my life, I'd, I'd strip that back and it was a bare, bare board and just like, no hope and no real direction, you know, no purpose. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I guess that kind of L cap thing was, was the first thing I, I, I pinned, I guess, back on that board and, and, uh, yeah, when after, you know, all of a sudden poured everything into it when, you know, when I thought, actually, I, I, you know, maybe I can. And it was at that point where I, I think after that conversation, it was like, I, I, I turned things around where I thought, well, what, instead of do it saying everything that I can't do, I looked at what can I still do? And the reality was for me, uh, the only things I couldn't do was drive. Yeah. And that was it. You yeah. Know? So this whole yeah. time, the six months where I've been living in this negative space of everything I couldn't do, and actually when I looked at it, I thought, well, oh, hang on, hang on, dickhead. <laughs> you know, all, all you can't do is drive. You know, you can still do your job, you know your amazing wife's still s- stood by. You've got this amazing support who want to help you. And actually, what I was not doing was accepting the help. Yeah. You know, I was, I was pushing everyone away, thinking I had to deal with this on my own. And 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 I guess growing up in the era that I did in New Zealand men didn't accept help mm. men didn't speak about their problems and you know and and so it was all kind of you have to deal with this and get on with it on your own and and I guess I got to a point where I couldn't work out how I was going to do that but actually when I thought okay I've got a problem there is help available and I have to you know man down from my ego yep. and say I need help and the minute I did that
0: everything changed that's really interesting i can i can definitely resonate with uh with that concept that it's easy to kind of push help away and like a lot of people are, are, are really keen to help out and to do things and initially you're just like no you don't get it like i'm 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 having to deal with this myself sort of thing and then when you change that and and you know you find out that actually you've got this amazing support circle around you it does make a huge difference doesn't it but you've got to you've got to be willing to open up to it yeah they yeah say that, don't it with mental health like the first thing is to actually have that acceptance and to be like okay yeah, yeah. Issue yeah. like I need to embrace that help that's out there, yeah. and 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 not just hide away from it. Yeah, yeah. And and I can't like,
1: you know, like everyone, I can't stress that enough. It's like the minute you say. I need help and you're willing to accept it, your life is going to change. Yeah. You know, like I can't, you know, my life went being from rock bottom to all of a sudden, like things were getting pinned up on that board, left, yeah. right and center with the thought of, we need a bigger boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, <laughs> it, it, it was, um, and I think that, that kind of year after when I had that moment with Karen, Andy and, and my wife and that drive home and kind of starting to think, well, maybe... Or maybe. And then I often describe it as like when I, when I talk to people about uh, like confidence and things like this. And when you start something new, you're rubbish at it because, of course, you are because you're brand new to it. You know, you you need to learn the skill set. And so this, this little bit of hope starts spinning. This little bit of confidence starts spinning. And, you know, you achieve these little small goals and the spiral starts to grow and it spins a bit, a, a little bit higher and a little bit wider each time. And, you know, as you sort of get, you know, achieve the next step and you know do something you thought you couldn't do when you achieve that this all of a sudden the spiral starts spinning so fast and so big and now it kind of feels like it's 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 you know i've got this thing spinning out of control with all these ideas and all these things that i really want to achieve and um and there's there's very rarely a doubt now you know because there's like with what i've done it's like so much self-confidence yeah. that I think I can make this happen. Yeah, and and I, and I think the, the the biggest thing as well being I guess being an athlete is has taught me is like that that fear of failure goes away because you realise that is such a big driving force behind achieving or just trying. Yeah, you know, and 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 the minute you can forget about what everyone else thinks of you and what other people say if you don't achieve what you set out to um that's a really full really powerful place to be yeah because often i think that's the are the shackles that hold so many people back It's just you know like this what if i don't do what i say i'm going to do and people are going to laugh at me well let them laugh yeah you know yeah. let them laugh let let you're let there them having a go yeah yeah let, let's see if they step into your shoes and have a crack at exactly. it because i bet you 95% of people will be like no, because that fear of failure is too great on them. Yeah. It's much easier to point and laugh at someone else failing than to, you know, tighten up your belt and have a go yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I think like as, a, as an athlete, like as a, certainly as a bike rider, you're going to always lose far more races than you win. And I'm, I'm case more point to <laughs> that for sure. But, it, you know, you, you learn something every time you don't win. Yeah. And, you know, often I've found that, you know, the times you lose, you, you're far more, um, clinical and how you look back and pick the pick the things apart of where it did go wrong and how you can get better. So the learning curve is much greater, I think, when you fail than when you win and a lot and a lot of points. Because obviously, when you win, everyone gives high fives and hugs and it's put to bed after that. You know, very rarely you go back and look at it. You know, we still look at what's gone well but I, n- I never think in the detail of when it goes wrong or when or not wrong, but not right. You know, yeah. you don't get the outcome you want. So yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to go on this journey and understand this kind of fear of failure and how much of a waste of time that is, you know, and, and I think probably like for you, where you, you know, for me, my eyesight, you know, it, 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 I could be blind in the year, I could be blind in 10 years. So to maximize that, um and get done what i want to get done i have to i have to put to bed this whole kind of what will people think of me what will they say because you know at the you end of put the day the put up. it's relevant. Yeah. You know, yeah it's absolutely yeah. relevant and, and you know some some people watching or listening to this will will be like um you know yeah i get that or like oh god like i just can't i can't get past that and um stop caring you know actually read a book uh the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah yeah because that is a that is a brilliant read it's like i think they sum it up with like in life we've only excuse my language but in life we've only got so many fucks to give invest those wisely (laughs) you know instead of investing them in like who's someone you've never met or is on your periphery is what they're going to say about you too right because at the end of the day that's it's irrelevant. It is irrelevant. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that quote you sent it to me for, uh, for the website when we did that blog. And I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. I'm just going to check, make sure we're still recording, make sure it's not gone off for some reason. Oh, yeah. Still goes strong. What time, is it? 11.07, doing well. Um. You just mentioned then you don't know how your vision will will go from here. Like, obviously, you were diagnosed in 2011, so that's 11 years now, isn't it? You know, of, of it of it kind of gradually getting getting worse, perhaps, and having times where it's probably more stable and suddenly you sort of see it degrading a little bit. In that time, like, I know you had the first six months where you thought, now this is not happening to me. Like, this just feels like a really bad nightmare. I'm going to kind of wake up from it, and hopefully it'll all be just a bad dream. But do you still have moments where you wake up and you just think, like, Heck, I can't believe this is happening to me, and you sort of feel like it really affects your mood, and and you you have times where you like you have to drag yourself out of that again. Yeah, I've got I've got much better dealing with that sort of things. It's like
1: it's still, I think in a, in a, in some ways, like I balance this out where it's like it's a terrifying thought to go blind for mm-hmm. me. Um, and, and the way that I kind of reframe that or flip it around when I do have those bad days, because I do have them, you know, and and they're not they're not common, but they do, you know, they do. They do come around. Um, and I guess I reframe that as to like, I have to admit, like this eye diagnosis is probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, because it's, it's made me hyper focused. It's made me really go out and try and achieve stuff. Instead of being that guy like, oh, I wish, oh, I wish I could climb Al Caparo. I, I, I wish I could ride a bike and be an elite athlete. To, you know, I, I don't have time to be wishy-washy and wish for things anymore. So I have to, if, if, if I buy into it, I want to make it happen. It, you know, and, and I, I invest everything to make it happen. And I guess the, the way that I reframe those bad days is um, when – and it normally comes when I, you know, knock stuff over, you know, making dinner and turn around and knock a pint of milk all over the floor because I haven't seen it. And just stupid little things like that can trigger this whole, you know, this whole kind of like, oh, God, you know, like, Fuck, I'm going to go blind, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I think to to, to – like I say, to reframe that, I kind of think of – the adventurous stuff that I'm that I've done and that I'm doing, I kind of look at it as like, how cool, what 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 sort of how amazing will that be? Doing that blind and having a completely different experience of you know of of doing this adventurous stuff without your sight. And once upon a time that terrifies me. And 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 sometimes it still does, but I think there's this overwhelming sense of excitement when I look at it like that thinking like, Jesus Christ, how mad can this get, you know, to, I mean, for me, imagine going back and trying to climb El Cap completely blind. I was just thinking that, yeah. You know, and and just like the different aspects and the the senses and, you know, knowing full well I've been there and being able to see the landscape and take that all in and be absolutely blown away by the, you know, most incredible place I've ever been on earth to, being there and it being a blank canvas and my, you know, visually, but all of a sudden being able to, you know, tune in a bit more to the smells and the sounds and all that sort of thing. So like, I, th- I think reframing stuff and it's, it's, it's really hard to do at the start, um, but, you know, learning to I think learning to cut yourself some slack. That yep, you're going to have you're going to have bad days. They're going to come and they're going to be unexpected when mm-hmm. they come, and the smallest things can trigger those. But I think reframing those days and being aware of when they happen, and then reframing something kind of positive, um, may, makes a big difference. Because you, I mean, you must go through that
0: regularly at the moment. I mean, yeah, you must bounce from good day to bad day constantly yeah and and I think um you sort of mentioned it I think for me I've got to just remind myself that it will pass like I'm generally I've got a pretty positive mindset and I've kind of I think I've come to terms with my diagnosis and prognosis so you know I'm not I don't find myself getting like really emotional about the fact that actually you know Potentially, this next one might be my last Christmas, for example. And, and then, you know, next year, I might not be there anymore. But I've got days where, yeah, I'm sort of down about it. But I've just got to remind myself, like, we'll pass. Like, tomorrow's a different day. And there's so many variables that can affect your mindset. Like, even, I mean, I haven't got a large bowel anymore. But there's sort of, like, the the, the good gut bacteria within that for a normal, healthy person can affect your mood. And there's so many variables that come into it. And sometimes just actually, yeah, having a, a bit of acceptance to go, everyone's got bad days. Like everyone, even if you're not facing this horrible diagnosis, yeah, everyone's yeah. got a bad day and it'll pass and tomorrow's a different day. Yeah, It just makes it normal, doesn't it? And then you just kind of move on with it. And uh, and, and sometimes, you know, within within half a day actually already, like things might have changed for the better. So you just divert your attention to something else. Um I can't put my finger on exactly what what that might be. It varies from day to day as well. You know, it could be just like spending time with some mates and you just chat about for the world to rights or something, and you come away from that thinking actually that so social interaction was exactly what I needed. Just been cooped up for too long. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it varies, and yeah, just that realization that is totally normal. It is totally normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we're talking to Martin Ashton, like, again, like one, one of the most positive people I've met, he was the same. He was like, yeah, we all, we all go through these bad times. And he went and did some counseling and he was saying like, I thought I'd definitely be in the worst place, but there's this lady there who, you know, um, is depressed because her neighbour's hair, because her dog's bark, and like everyone's got these issues. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just put it into perspective, really. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, I, th- I think f- for me as well, one of the one of the key tools is when when I do get a bit down on myself or my situation, I always think um, there's people that are far worse off. Oh yeah. You know, and and yeah. although that's you know like. In, in many ways, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a horrible thing to think, but I kind of think like, mate, what have you got to complain about? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. you've lost a bit of sight, but your life's good. Yeah. You know, your life's good because you work hard at making it good. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've got a good friend, Dave Smith, and I look, you know, I look at his situation and I love this guy to bits and just think like every time I get down on myself, I think of what Dave's going through and just think, you're the luckiest guy alive, Steve. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you're just losing a bit of sight, mate. Yeah. But you know, it's so it's um, I, I uh, yeah, I think it's really good to keep perspective as well. It's oh, it's okay. it's dead easy, isn't it, to start to when you have a bad day, start to get into that negative mindset, and and you know, and and I think um, kind of often maybe you know, looking up at the sky and taking a deep breath and and thinking about like holistically looking, you know, thinking of you up in the sky, looking back down and looking at the whole situation around you, and think you know what this ain't too bad mm. you know this ain't too bad it's a bit shit at the moment but like you say it'll, it'll pass yeah and it, and, it, and it might pass you know often for me when i do that it passes within a few minutes mm. you know sometimes i might have have a couple of bad days you know like i think october's always a hard time for me because obviously with the daylight hours changing yeah. there's a lot more darkness and I always think oh god my eyes have got loads worse and you know oh god this is gonna be horrendous but you know, the reality is I love winter. You know, I love the cold weather and stuff and, uh, you know, the short and, short and daylight hours and, and
0: things like that. But it's just, uh yeah, just stuff you got to work through, really. Speaking of which, actually, it just reminds me the first time we were going to have this chat. It was absolutely lashing it down, wasn't it? Look <laughs> at the difference. Yeah, now we're sat know, outside, yeah. like steel blue sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being crisp, just above freezing. Like it couldn't be any more different, could it? Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Shame we're not riding bikes, but it's uh, it's nice to just be sat outside, not a breath of wind. It's it's lovely and warm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you make a valid point there as well, Steve. I think one of the things that you know when you're going through these times of hardship that like you've got to get yourself to do is just give yourself a bit of time to reflect on things, have a bit of time out. Like sometimes I having a bit of bit of Steve's time or a bit of Neil's time just being like you know what I'm gonna go and sit outside and just watch the stars for a bit and just 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 have that kind of reflection I think that really helps me as well because I think your brain's often like just just sort of like rationalizing things and you don't need like additional input from anybody else you just need a little bit of time to go and like just think it through um and you find that like your brain is able to with time process things and you come out of it feeling a lot better sometimes I think so it just varies. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm, my job is riding my bike.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I spend a lot of hours <laughs> riding my bike on long rides, training rides, and stuff. And it's incredible. I can be in a really negative place, like not wanting to go out, could be lashing with rain and stuff like that. And, you know, you just think, oh, God, I've got five hours to do in this. This is going to be horrendous. And very rarely I come back from those five hours and feel it in the same way. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously knackered um, from riding that much. And the concentration for me to ride, because I still ride a solo bike, is um, oh, certainly on the road is pretty intense. I bet. Um, I don't really get a chance to switch off and look around the countryside because I generally clip a curb and end up on the floor or something <laughs> daft like that. Like, <laughs> I've got all these amazing accolades and stuff behind me as a cyclist, but I'm terrible on on a solo. Um, but, yeah, it's that's… Um, and I find that, like, when I look back at some of these long rides and the and the conversations I've had with myself and in my head and, you know, the the weird tangents I've gone often, um, is is it, it just it's it's kind of really amusing, you know? I, I spend a lot of time on my own and training on my own and stuff, but in a way, I guess I kind of I kind of like that, and um, I guess I'm i fortunate that I'm, I don't work in a busy office where yeah, a hundred and hundred and. One thing's coming out from all directions and other people lobbing their problems onto you and things like that and stuff, you know, which I, which I'm, I i do not know, I guess happens in the workplace, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to spend a lot of time on my own and I'm, I'm. Thankfully I'm pretty happy in my own company. Yeah I, t- yeah. I tend to have these pretty bizarre bizarre conversations in my head, which would probably uh have some sort of psychiatrist uh yeah, me all day, try, <laughs> trying to unpick those. But uh yeah, it's um I think uh yeah, just having that space, being outdoors is is um you know, like I'm incredibly fortunate to do what I do, yeah. and it's uh, yeah. When when times get tough, it's kind of reflected on that. It's like, hey, mate, listen. You, you know, you don't have to be anywhere at seven thirty, eight thirty in the morning, sat behind a desk, you know, deal, dealing with complaints or whatever it is. And you know, I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for
0: being able to do what I do. You, um, I know the answer to this really, but um, you know, for the sort of viewers and listeners, uh, you obviously spend a lot of time training for your day job, if if that makes sense. spend a lot of time on the bike, spend a lot of time in the gym. You still ride a bike quite a lot outside of that, don't you, like um, completely nothing to do with the sort of like the, the professional side of things. Do you find that like your day job ever takes away that passion or are the two completely separate and you find that you have like a separate pool of passion for getting out on your personal bike and your personal adventures and then you've got your kind of day job or are the two intertwined? How does that work for you? yeah it's it's kind of um i think because uh, most of the most
1: of the training for the day job is done on my road bike yeah um but i guess I've come from a mountain biking background and certainly now with gravel and and stuff being so uh, uh prevalent it's um i think for me like if i if <laughs> if I could choose one bike to ride for the rest of my life it'd be my fat bike right um and that and that's just because it's it's completely the opposite of everything I do in terms of high performance. And you know It's curb proof it, as it, well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah yeah, <laughs> just, just, just 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's six PSI, that's I C D golden. But yeah, like everything I do in my is so, in my day job is so hyper focused to performance, power numbers, um, aerodynamics, you know, the less drag the better. Yeah. And I couldn't think of a better tool to be the complete opposite yeah. of that in terms a of a fat bike. And and it's, it's, it, when I ride it, I always smile, you know, it always brings a smile to my face. Cause it's such a, like, it's such a bizarre thing to ride. And, you know, and if I had a, if I had a quid for every time someone said, Oh, look at the tires on that, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's just a fun bike to ride. And it's, it's yeah. I, th- I think I'm very fortunate. Like I look at some of the guys on the team and they, their life is cycling yes, and you know, their identity is cycling racing and racing and winning. And, and I guess over the nine year career I've had racing at elite level of, you know, probably the first four years were like that for me. And then I quickly realized that, you know, this, this job isn't going to last forever. And I can't cling on to that being my identity. Um, and I was very much like that when I was climbing. You know, I was a climber. Mm-hmm. I was a dirtbag. And, um, you know, and, and always took as soloing up. was like, you know, that's who I'm, that's who, that's who I am. That's who Steve Bate is. And, and, and I did a lot of work with Dave Smith actually. And when he actually retired from being an athlete and he was going through this process and it was really nice to, to, to go through that with him and look at my own life and think, you know, like, I'm 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 just Steve. I'm just an ordinary guy. What I do is r- race a bike, mm. and uh, yeah, I've won some amazing stuff. But that's not who I am. And and I think when I was able to split those two apart and be like, well, that's that's my job. That's what I do. But most people who know me, I, I've I've never changed. You know, I've always been just someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously and and wants to have a laugh. Yeah. And and I think. When you get to that point where you don't have your the gold medals and the MBs as your as your kind of your identity, yeah, um, it makes it makes life and more enjoyable. And for me, jumping on a fat bike and riding is that's just me, Steve riding. That's not a gold medal world champion cyclist. Yeah, yeah, that that's just you know that's just me. And you know, going back to like the guys on the squad are with us, you know, all they do is ride a road bike. And, and certainly at this time of year, like going into winter, I couldn't think of anything worse than spending, you know, six hour training rides on the road and traffic and pissing rain. And, you know, cause the reality is, is, you know, for us as parasites, you know, we don't have training camps to s- Southern Spain and things like that, you know, and we we don't, we're not based there for three months over the worst period, you know, I'm right around West Yorkshire, <laughs> you know, and that weather and, and stuff. And, and and for me, I think the yeah the fat bike, the gravel bike, and to a certain extent the road bike, I can I can switch off from that training thing and have a life outside of that. Yeah, which is still you know really passionate about yeah. riding my bike. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been pretty lucky in that respect to be able to like keep that divide. You know, when I know I got to get on the turbo, it's going to be horrible, and that and that's the other things that I have to do to be the best at my job and and try and be the best in the world but equally i can jump on my fat bike go right to the pub and drink a few beers with mates and 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 not feel bad about that yeah. guilty you know because yeah. that's that's who i am as a, as
0: a person yeah no that's great and you know speaking of your fat bike um i don't know if you want to talk about this already but obviously it's uh, it's about to cover some miles isn't it we've got we've got some adventures plans so i don't know if you want to Go into that at all in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, on, uh, well, in two days' time, I'm going to head back up to Scotland with
1: a fully laden fat bike to try and attempt to ride the um, Highland uh, Trail 550 in winter, solo, unsupported, Um, which is, uh, I'm kind of going, uh, waves of kind of excitement and terror (laughs) over this last kind of couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of... um, I've kind of set myself that goal at the the beginning of this year. After writing the Badger Divide in winter, um, and you know, Annie Lloyd Evans has been a you know who who rode it first. You know, probably about this time last yeah, year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, was uh, you know pretty inspiring yeah. to me. And watching watching her film, The Longest Night, was um, really amazing. And and kind of going on that little journey with her, and 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 yeah, it certainly inspired me to to
0: have a go. But for those who don't know, I mean, Highland Trail basically is a 550 mile mission through the Scottish Highlands, it makes like a figure of eight loop sort of thing, goes all the way to like um, like fisher fields, that kind of you know, really quite far north. But the, the the trouble with it is there's quite a few sections where you've got effectively you know gravel, some like even some minor road sections, I believe too full-blown hiker bike, you know, you're not able to ride this, it's like trudging through bogs or just like really quite rough terrain. And the biggest issue for a lot of people is bike choice, isn't it? Because it's like, well, what do you take? I mean, fat bike makes a lot of sense in winter because you've got the bogs, you might get snow. I mean, it's fairly settled at the moment, but um I think the biggest trouble that you'll have is the navigation side of things. Because you've never ridden it. It's the first time you'll ride it. Yeah, yeah, it's the first time, yeah. So,
1: so Annie raced it last year. Um, in the uh, when Ellen Goldsmith sets off the the kind of uh, the race every year, and 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 she raced in, I think, I think she came like fourth or or something overall and first woman, which was phenomenal. Um, and uh, and Hugh, her her, her partner, um, you know, he's he's raced it as well and obviously obviously won it in three and a half days or something crazy. So they've got a really great understanding of, of the route, totally. Um, know it really well uh both of them live up there so that you know they're, they're, they've ridden it extensively and and a part of this for me i think was i've probably only ridden about five ten percent if i'm lucky of the route um and and not the most challenging parts of it either so it's um i think this could be one of the hardest things i've ever done um
0: if if i can even complete it i don't know yeah um but it's not necessarily what it's about i suppose for you, it's like it's like giving it a go and seeing how you do like um yeah completing a great setting a new record would be even better but you know it's it's also finding out what your i suppose what your resilience limits are aren't they like what can you take because it's winter um it's gonna be dark like that's really quite difficult for navigating for just seeing yeah And, and it's it's a route that you don't know that well so Yeah. Kudos to you for just giving it a go. Yeah. One thing I learned after, after climbing El Cap
1: was that, um, I find out the most about myself in those challenging situations. That's, that's where I kind of find out who, who I am as a person and learn the most about, I guess, myself and, how I cope in situations like that. And I've got to the point now where, you know, talk about this crazy spiral earlier, I've got to the point now where, you know, where you have that, you're doing something stupid or daft or whatever, and you've got this little voice in your head that's saying, oh, you've really cooked it this time. You know, you've gone way past <laughs> what, you know, this is stupid. You know, you can just stop. All the suffering and stuff will be over, just quit, just stop now. And I think now, like that's the point I always strive to get to because I know at that point that's when the kind of really precious learnings I'm going to get from whatever I'm doing are, are going to happen. Yeah. So it, in a weird way, like I'm going to start writing this thing on Saturday morning and I'm going to be counting the hours down until this voice goes, oh my God, Steve, you're you're an idiot. Like, what the hell were you thinking? This is way beyond you. You can't do this. And all that negative emotion and thought comes into your mind. And I've got to the point now where like, it's like a, like a switch where I turn all that off and go, great. This is where it begins. This is what you wanted. This is the point you wanted to get to, you know, what happens now. And And I think that for me, that's the point where the adventure starts, you know, and that could be two hours in could be two days in, you know, hopefully not two weeks in yeah. Hopefully it's <laughs> less than two yeah. weeks, <laughs> that's it. but, uh, but yeah, I think that, and, and you know, that uh, getting to that point always excites me. Now it's not, uh, it's not something that is terrifies me. It's something I'm, I'm wanting to come. I'm wanting to, to get to that point, to be like, okay, good. Now, now the learning starts. And this is where you find out who you really are and what you're made of. Yeah, no, that's, that's,
0: uh, yeah, uh, I, I totally resonate with that, where um, where you sort of find that. Yeah, I, I sort of see it as like the, the kind of extent of my resilience. And I think the only way you kind of train that is by finding that little voice. He said, I've bit enough more than you can chew here. And you're like, oh, I'll prove you wrong then. Like you turn that into positive energy. Yeah. You yeah. Can really kind of push through stuff, which yeah, you, you didn't think was sort of possible. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: so- I think, like, for you, uh, I mean, you know, with ride of resilience is like you, you can there's so much stuff on resilience now. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a word that can be thrown around and used. It's 100%. like, oh, you're so resilient, you're so this, you're so that but in my experience and I'd like to hear your experience of this, um, it's that's something that is uh, it's almost like navigation. You can read everything you can about navigating with a compass and a map in a book, but until you're feet on the floor out doing it, um, you'll never you'll never be able to navigate. And, and and I think as well, um, like I'm, I've got that same kind of mindset with resilience. Is like you can read all you like about how to be mentally strong and how to push through these barriers, but until you hit that barrier with with your feet firmly on the floor in a situation, you'll. I, I don't think you'll ever understand it. I
0: think yeah, you're totally right. I think, I think everyone has a natural amount of resilience built into them and they just need to find a way to kind of develop that if that makes sense and kind of like work on that. Um, I, I suppose I surprised myself like post-diagnosis like um, I had a similar similar kind of time period it was like oh, I'm not riding bikes. It lasted about three months for me um, and then I was inspired by some other people and sort of started building up gradually. Um, and I think, you know, looking at that, I think there is just a natural amount of variation between people. Like some people, it'll take a bit longer to kind of like train that resilience muscle and keep going with it. And for some people that, you know, once they've uncovered it, it's like, well, I know what to do with it now and you can kind of run with it. Um, but yeah,
1: yeah. Does getting to that point, like when you hit those barriers, does that like, like I say, for me, that kind of excites me. Is 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 that the same for you? Do you do you like do you like that wall and going, okay, we're here
0: again. You yeah, know, this is. But I think our background helps with that. Like, you know, I've um, I came from like, like long distance treks, for example. I did like loads of like, um, I mean, like did like Pyrenean traverse, for example, and things like that. And you hit these lows where you just think, oh, I can't get up this next coal, mate. Like, <laughs> I'm absolutely cooked, and secretly quite enjoy pushing myself to that next level. So being like, right, I'm going to pace myself. I'll do a hundred steps and I can allow myself for like a little break. I'll do another hundred steps and I'll work my way up there. And I think that all helps to kind of build that. And it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, a little voice is telling you like, you're not going to be able to do this. Like get into the next refuge. You're going to be camping at the top there. And you're like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, so when it came to to, to I suppose, this journey, um, when any, when, whenever anybody said to me like you won't be able to do that, I like to turn it around. So it was like post surgery, like ah, oh, you need about eight weeks, ten weeks to recover from this. I was like, well, after three weeks, I was back on my bike. <laughs> and then you want to sort of just go like slide that in front of the surgeon and be like, see? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But it, I'm not trying to prove. I'm not trying to prove myself to anyone by myself. Yeah, to yeah. be honest yeah. and, yeah. and, and a lot of it for me is also like. If you're able to bounce back quickly from these major operations or like, um, you know, even like any kind of treatment, it, it makes me feel like, Hey, I'm still winning. Like my body's still strong. Mm. Um, so pushing myself to get that result gives me a lot of, it's got this like knock on effect where then afterwards I'm like, I feel empowered by it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. I do go and seek that, um, if I can Yeah. just, just that. Yeah. Little bit of like digging deep and seeing what I can do, and sometimes don't get me wrong, like I'll, I'll, I'll do that and I'm, I'm cooked for a week. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just like, man, like I'm not doing anything, I totally went too far, yeah, and I've got to recover. Um, but yeah, sometimes like you do these things and, and you find out that actually you're way more capable than you think you are, you yeah, know? like yeah. that trans kangorm mission that we did, like bike packing on our mountain bikes, so, like you know, call it shred packing. I was generally a bit like you with Highland Trail now. Like, I was I was a bit worried. Like, I was really excited, really worried, really excited. I was like, I'm going to have to take, like, all my medication, all, like, my medical supplies, for, like, all the stomach care, and, like, what if, like, you know, the thing peels off or gets, like, the skin gets really sore. I won't have stuff with me. And then you go and do it, and you complete it, and you think, right, cool, what's next then? Because, I mean, that was two days, and that went all right. And, like, you know, where, where else can we go? Like, can we go further afield? Can we go and do the Alps? Like, yeah, and you yeah, start yeah. thinking and planning. Yeah. And that's just as important, having these dreams and thinking like, well, what else can I do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What else am I capable of? Yeah. I think it's really
1: important for for people listening to this, and certainly if you're, you're, you're catching this interview at the, at the very beginning of your journey with dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And I think, I think it's really important to say, like, I didn't go, which hopefully came, comes through here, I, I didn't go from diagnosis to soloing Alcap and winning Paralympic mm. medals. Instantly, you know that that's been uh, you know like Al cap came two years after my diagnosis uh, you know racing for the country and you know, the games was five years after that and and I think it, it's really important to understand for you guys like you can have all these big dreams and aspirations, but it 's taken it one step at a time, build that little spiral of yours, you know start small and 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 gain the confidence. And expect to fail, you know. Expect to go through that thing, like you said, where you go and do something, and then you you completely cook yourself, and you have to give yourself the time, and and don't see that as a as a step backwards. Just see it as a step sideways, and like okay, I'll take it as a learning curve. Like I've I've gone and done this. If I'm honest with myself, I probably went a bit too far yeah. or a bit too hard. Yeah. I just need to give myself a little bit of time, and then I I can start from the same point. You're not starting from a step below again, and you know it's um. I think that's always really important because as humans, we always want more. We always want to go bigger and better and, and, and feel like we're always moving forward and gaining momentum. And, and sometimes going sideways is just as important. I think as as going forwards and, and, you know, just cutting yourself the slack and going, you know what? Today wasn't a good day and that's okay. You know, maybe I should have done things different. Maybe the situation wasn't quite as it should be. Um, but that's okay you know i'll 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 go again tomorrow or i'll like like in your case i'll give myself a week cuz i need to feel that recovery but hey i've i've done it so i know i can do it and i and i can go again but with the knowledge that i learned from tony totally. last week you yeah. know so i th- i think it's really important to stress that to people it's like it's not from like, Hey, this is the situation to this is life's going to be amazing and wonderful and everything's going to be all right. You know, cause you know, both, you know, both you and I've thought, you know, we still have day-to-day struggles. There's still things that get you down. There's still things that can, 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 you know, try and knock you back, but you know, use the, using the people around you and, and trying to reframe things to a positive way. When those negative thoughts get in your head, um, you know, as a a really valuable tool to just keep making those little steps
0: forwards. I think that's a really, really strong message to sort of round this interview up with because I was actually going to ask you, like, what would pre-diagnosis Steve tell a Steve from the future? And it's probably that, isn't it? Like, scale your adventures appropriately, build that spiral. And yeah, to be honest, I don't think I would have. I think
1: pre pre uh diagnosis i i i think i would have been the kind of person that was really arrogant and just be sort of saying we'll just deal with it dickhead like <laughs> get on with it you know right. it, it'll be fine and stuff you know like i think um this journey's taught me a lot in terms of um you know like seeking help being empathetic compassion yeah you know understanding that what you see on the surface isn't always what's going on under the surface and it, it's you know i i was probably um if I look back to that, I was probably not the most compassionate and uh, empathetic person growing up because it was always the this young male drive of you know being a badass and it was only me that ever mattered. Yeah, to to really understanding that you know y- you can choose not to be like that. And, and it's perfectly okay. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. You know, in in many ways it makes you a much stronger person.
0: So really you would have gone, if you had the opportunity to talk to pre-diagnosis, pre-diagnosis I can't speak today, pre-diagnosis Steve, you'd probably just gone and slapped him around the face and be like, stop, stop
1: being a dickhead. Yeah, I, re- I reckon so, yeah. Just like, get on with it, mate. I don't, I don't want to hear about your problems. I couldn't give a shit. My life's great, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, it's been um, like it's been a real journey, you know. And it's it's been, like I said, it's been a really positive one. Yeah. And, it, and it's and it's opened my eyes to lots of other things, and and I've I've got to meet lots of incredible people and in go incredible places, and and uh, doing doing incredible podcasts. So yeah, hey, it's, I'm pretty fortunate.
0: It's important, isn't it, to realise that from adversity, you, you also you you create or you can. You can come across opportunity. Um, I mean, I'm to a large extent I'm the same because you know you, you're facing your mortality much sooner than you normally would have done, and suddenly you start really kind of looking at what's important in life, but what you want to achieve in life. And you said it earlier: you just actually put the afterburners on and make that stuff happen. And I think if you've just got a lifetime ahead of you, you might just be like, oh, I'll "Look into it next year. Yeah. Look into it." And you're like, "I might not have next year, so we're going to make that happen now." And off the back of that, you know, at one point, it's sort all of like mid-chemo treatment for me, I was like, you know what, it's last year, I had a pretty great year, and I remember my mum looking at me like, you're mental, like, you've literally <laughs> had like chemo every second week, and then maybe I had like one weekend where you're like, okay, and you could go out and do things, and I was like, yeah, but I've done loads, like I've done way more than I would have done in a normal year. Hmm. And It'd be nice if somehow we could inspire people who are completely healthy and fit and don't have this kind of like adversity around them to embrace that mentality and to be like, well, if you want to do something, like go out and make it happen now. Like, don't wait for next year. There's that yeah. analogy, isn't there? Where people say like you could walk out and be hit by a bus, but it's true. Like yeah, you yeah. never know what's around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tomorrow is not a so given.
1: Yeah. yeah, don't wait. Just just crack on. Yeah, yeah. It's, but funny. yeah. it's funny, isn't it? How we have to have these kind of, I guess in many ways, life-changing moments mm. to realize how precious life is.
0: And to not be addicted to people, to be like, everyone's got their battles and to yeah, be yeah, more empathetic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Steve, mate, thank you so much for your time. That was uh, awesome to chat to you. I've been meaning to do this for a long time. <laughs> we started with that little <laughs> blog piece. Um I, I think you're a massively inspirational guy and Really look forward to your adventures, well outside of kinda of like the professional cycling side of things. Absolutely man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Steve for taking the time out of his busy training schedule to come and have a sit down with us and to talk about how biking has really helped him to deal with, you know, this awful blow that he's been dealt in life. He obviously talked about some little forthcoming adventures and, um, you know, they've now well and truly happened. Um, they actually were documented by a photographer and a filmmaker and um, that film, the resulting film of that, is being worked on as we speak, I believe. So uh, keep an eye out on our social media channels and as soon as that video goes live, we will make sure we post it and share it as widely as we can because I think it will be a yeah a pretty... Um, inspirational watch and it'll really kind of show us how deep Steve can really dig um, during times of hardship when the times get a bit tougher. Okay thanks again to Steve and until the next episode of the Ride It Out show, take care.